Hello and welcome to episode 7 of This Too Shall Pass. Uh, I didn't have an episode out last week so um, I was just, I was taking a week off work and I thought I would take a week off everything, <coughs> excuse me, including the podcast. Uh, it's, it's good to recharge your batteries, it's good to, you know, get yourself a wee bit of perspective and sometimes it feels good to just sit and do nothing for a straight week. So, um, and you know what? I worked very hard and I deserved it. So there you go. I had a great time. I did nothing. I read some of my Hillary Clinton book. I watched some TV, some parks and recreation, and just did things that weren't exactly very taxing. So uh, this episode is going to be a bit shorter than the last one, the one I did with Brian Ingram. I really enjoyed talking to Brian. Um, you know, I thought I, I found a very useful discussion about BPD and mental health from the perspective of somebody else that lives with mental health issues. And, you know, you should follow Brian on Twitter and YouTube and Instagram and TikTok if you get the chance, because he talks a lot of sense about, well, living with borderline personality disorder, what that's like for him. He talks very openly and frankly about it. And he's a, he's a very sweet guy, he's great, so please listen back to the episode and, and follow Brian because he's, he's got a heart of gold. So I'm going to play my little cheesy intro and then we're going to get right into it. You're listening to This Too Shall Pass podcast, a show about mental health. This is Stephen Donandalzel, your host. So thanks for tuning in. Um, I recently hit over 10,000 followers on Twitter. So for that, I am incredibly grateful to everybody who follows me. Um, I try not to measure my social status and my, you know, worth by magic internet numbers. But let's face it, it can be a bit addictive. And for someone like me who has problems with craving validation, (laughs) those numbers, when you see them going up and up and up, it does feel good. But also it can be quite toxic because then when the numbers start to go down and down and down, you think, oh, that's a reflection of my worth as a person. And that's that's BS. That's just not true. Um, but it can be hard to get out of that and that's that's exactly what social media is designed to do it's designed to make you be addicted to it so that you put stock into what those numbers mean and you get hooked on how many likes how many retweets how many follows you know whatever you know how many views etc that you get for your content and it's just a race to the bottom so that's why I've not been checking the numbers as much on the this podcast. I don't know how many people actually listen to this. Anchor FM is the app that I use to record this, and it does tell me the stats, and I can look at them if I want. I can even view where people are listening from, what countries, what cities, etc., and on what platforms. I don't know, and I have no idea, what... Uh, is the most popular platform to listen to my podcast on or how many views are listening or if anybody even is. But anyway, the reason I don't do that is because then I put I, I start to put stock into those magic internet numbers 
around something that I enjoy. I enjoy creating this podcast. I enjoy being able to talk to people. I enjoy being able to do something that makes me happy. And as soon as I start, you know, putting pressure on myself to create content that is popular, then it no longer becomes about me. And it no longer becomes about something that I enjoy, but rather what other people enjoy. And I lose, I, I've lost it then, I've lost track of it then. So, yeah, um, which kind of brings me to my topic this week. I don't have a special guest this week, it's just me. So, this week we are talking about, well, I'm talking about happiness and what that means for me. So, bear with me a little second. I'm going to get a glass of water and I'll be right back. Okay, so I'm back and I've got my little bottle of water beside me. It's a rookie mistake and I do it every single episode. I go, do you know what? I should record. I should start recording right now with the driest throat possible. And then I end up having to take swigs of water during the broadcast. And it's like, <laughs> it's not pretty. Anyway, um, so I'm sitting here with my gingerbread scented uh, candle, which, you know, somebody asked me last week on another podcast what's the most perfect thing in the world and I instantly thought of the smell of gingerbread like it's my it's my safe space <laughs> if you were to you know I, I have gingerbread scented candles I have gingerbread scented air freshener I have gingerbread scented zaflora like disinfectant so even when I clean the floors or the worktops in my kitchen it smells like gingerbread now you might think that sounds a little nuts but I like the smell of it, so I don't care what you think. Okay, so, uh, what was I talking about? Yes, happiness. You know, it can be very um, alluring, shall we say, to talk specifically about things that are unhappy or difficult or the negative side of mental health whenever you're doing a mental health podcast. You know, you talk to anybody about mental health and the first thing that comes to mind are things like depression, anxiety, um, stress, you know, all that really horrible stuff. But mental health also includes things like happiness, joy, love, fulfillment, confidence, inspiration, creativity, etc. And when people talk about having good mental health, that doesn't mean, like good mental health to me can mean, well, that just means I didn't have a bad day, but it also means, well, you know what, I need to acknowledge whenever I've had a really good day, and I need to acknowledge whenever things are going well for me, and recognise what that looks like. And that can be quite difficult, especially when you're in the midst of um, a good episode, a good period of mental health. By the way, if you hear weird noises in the background, it's my dog, Milo, who is like this little Shih Tzu gremlin hybrid, um, who I love to pieces, but he is this strangest little dog in the world and I love him. Alright Milo? He's a good boy. Anyway, well you can't see him so there's no point in me calling him over. Uh, <laughs> I'll put a picture up so you can have a look at him. Um, he has his own Instagram account called Milo Pooch M-Y-L-O-P-O-O-C-H on Instagram. So you can check him out there if you really really feel like you want to do that. Um, so yeah, I'm the kind of asshole that has an Instagram account for their dog so what? Uh, so yes, what was I saying? Happiness. Happiness, do-do-do, loneliness. Uh, happiness, <laughs> it's the, it, like, 
that's what we all strive for, isn't it? That's that's what we pursue. The pursuit of happiness is a fundamental objective for every human being. And you know, if you were to ask somebody how to define happiness, I think they would find that quite difficult. If they if you were to sit down or if they, you were to sit them down and say to them, give them a pen and paper and say, I want you to draw what happiness looks like. You know, what is it? What color is it? What does it feel like? You know, is it hot? Is it cold? You know, is there, are you alone? Is there people there? You know, what does it sound like? Happiness is a lot of different things to different people. And there is an entire culture created around what it means to be happy and there is such a thing as toxic positivity which is related to that but I'll come to that a wee bit later on so for me happiness is well there you go I probably should have written something down before I started this broadcast um but for me happiness is I suppose giving myself a break Having days when I haven't, you know, told myself that I'm worthless. Having days when I feel I've done a good job in work. Where I can get up in the morning and I'm I'm looking forward to work. Or I'm enjoying the morning. Or, you know, I wake up and I have the, I'm able to go up and get washed and get my breakfast. And, you know, get dressed and not feel like it's draining my energy. Happiness is a good night's sleep. You know... It's a, it's a it's having a decent meal. It's sitting down and spending time with my husband, and with my friends and my family. It's being able to sit, and I think maybe just be content with my life as it is. I don't feel the need to strive for anything better. I don't feel the need to give myself a hard time about things that I have or haven't done or haven't accomplished and I can I, I can tell when I'm having a good period of mental health because the negative thoughts they're still there but they're nowhere near as amplified they're they're kind of turned down from an 11 to about a three if you want to say you know and how much of that is to do with medication and how much of that is to do with situational stresses I don't know I mean I'm forever trying to find the perfect balance of what it means to be happy but I suppose for a lot of people it probably is contentment and not having periods of thinking god I haven't done this I can't accomplish this I'm a failure I'm a joke etc etc it's being able to block those negative voices out of your head for a while and even just go days where you go, huh, I didn't actually hear those voices at all today. I didn't have a, a period today where I told myself I was a complete piece of crap. You know, you can still have angry moments and bad days whenever you're happy. But I think it's important for people who have poor mental health, more more poor mental health days than good mental health days, I think it's important for us to recognise the good days and enjoy them and appreciate them and bank them and think well you know yesterday was great or I enjoyed that I'm gonna think about doing that again or mm, that didn't work for me so much that time but you know I, I find that I I enjoyed it this time what was different 
you know what 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 made it work for you that time and take the things that make your good days good and apply them be consistent with what those things are if it's i took my meds and take your take your goddamn meds if it's well you know what in work today i didn't worry about x y or z well then maybe try and do that in the future if it's oh well i got i went to bed a bit earlier and i woke up and i felt refreshed or i took the dogs on a walk or i called my mum or i watched a tv show and it made me laugh i played a video game and it distracted me for a while whatever be consistent with the things that you enjoy be consistent with the things that bring you joy as well um i follow a lady on twitter called taryn devere and i'll try and get I, i really would love to get talking to taryn about um her outlook on life because she is one of the most colorful and interesting people that i've ever met you know she has her she has a, a an online store that you can buy cool badges and things from and i have some of them in, in the house that i got from a friend today and she calls herself the bringer of joy because she really does try to um instill in people the qualities that they like about themselves and the things about the world that are pretty good that we can appreciate so um if you get the chance to look her up on social media it's taryn t-a-r-y-n devere d-e space v-e-r-e uh she lives in i want to say donegal but i'm sorry taryn if i've got that wrong but she definitely lives in ireland somewhere um and she's great so but you know, thinking about her, thinking about the the concept of joy, brought me on to thinking about Taryn and and that kind of positive outlook on things. But this is what brings me back to that uh, notion of toxic positivity. I don't know if anybody's heard of that before. It's something. It's a concept that I am aware of, but I've only really learned to know what to call it recently. And it was actually through Brian Ingram, um, who introduced me to the concept, whether deliberately or not. You know the the concept of toxic positivity is well whenever you um constantly feel like you're under pressure to act happy or cheerful when you're not um it's you know if you say to somebody if someone asks you how are you doing today although i'm fine when you're really not or when someone says oh just cheer up smile it'll get better when something really bad happens to you, you know, it can be hard to respond to that toxic positivity. And there's almost an onus on people who, like myself, have had periods of really poor mental health to hide that away from people because, well, you don't want people to worry. You don't want people to stress out about you. You don't want people to talk about you. And thank God, he's 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 really he's really lost the plot, or she, or she's really stressed out. I don't know if she can handle this. There's almost this fake it till you make it approach, and you know that can work for some people, but it doesn't work for me. And in fact, it's the opposite of self care. Um, you know when people say or people, I say to myself, it could be worse. Yeah, it could be worse. Of course, it could be worse. It could always be worse, but it could be a hell of a lot better. And if things are bad for you, they're bad for you. If things are pretty, if you're having a hard time, you're having a hard time, and it's not about be, it's not it's not about um 
being ungrateful for the things that you have. But it's about maybe being a bit more appreciative of the things that make you happy, I suppose. I don't know how, how to word that. I mean, nobody. Try, I don't think anybody tries to hurt people with comments like, oh, it could be worse, or cheer up, or, you know, you know it'll get better, etc. They don't, people don't mean anything by that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident of that, but I think people find it difficult to respond to people when, if I was, if you were to ask somebody, oh, all right, Michael, how you doing? Oh, I'm terrible today. I mean, you're, that's not, you're not expecting that. You're not expecting that answer. You're expecting to go, oh, I'm dead on. Thanks. How are you? You know, or, or if, if, if someone asks you how you're doing, you kind of go, yeah, I'm good. And you might not be. So how do you be honest with people about how you are without scaring them? But at the same time, you have to be accountable to yourself. If someone's asking you how you are, if they're really asking how you are and you feel that you can talk to them, talk to them and say, well, I'm glad you asked because I'm not doing the best today. Do you mind if we have a minute to talk about it? They might not be available, but, you know, you can if they're a friend, they'll, they'll, they'll make time for you. So... Toxic positivity can be the opposite side of that pursuit of happiness, where even whenever you are feeling miserable, you feel under pressure to act as though and behave as though everything is fine. And that, my friends, is a recipe for burnout. And we'll talk about burnout another day, because I've already touched on a couple of different things there. And I don't want to start rambling about different topics, because then I'll confuse myself, and this podcast will just be a big spaghetti junction mess. So, it's important, I think, to recognise the difference between toxic positivity and genuine happiness. And, you know, I'm a trained counsellor and there is a school of thought called the Rogerian School of Thought. Um, and it comes from Carl Rogers. And Carl Rogers was a humanist. Um, no, not a humanist, sorry. Let me let me try and get the right term for you because he, he, he wasn't a humanist. Um in the sense of like humanism in the religion or whatever you call it. But Carl, Carl Rogers was a psychologist and he was a f- founder of the humanistic approach or client-centered approach to psychology. Um, you know, he is widely considered to be one of the like um, pioneers of psychotherapy and uh, like psychotherapy research or, or treatments and counseling. Um, and he, he, a lot of, a lot of the things he, you know, researched and studied and practiced informed a lot of what we consider to be mental health services today around the Western world and, and, you know, around the globe. Uh, but the humanistic school of thought or the person-centered approach or the client-centered approach, if you want to call it that, is whenever you focus on the client and, it's your job as the counsellor to create the conditions for change. And the conditions for change, according to Carl Rogers, are congruence, unconditional positive regard, and empathy. And congruence is whenever your behaviours and your thoughts match. And incongruence is when the opposite of that happens and incongruence is an uh, toxic positivity sorry is an example of incongruence 
I'm feeling terrible, but I'm acting as if I'm okay. That is a sign of distress in someone. And whenever you're doing that, you need to recognise that things aren't good. You know, you, you need to take a bit of time here to understand that things aren't good and why they aren't good. The other core belief is unconditional positive regard, which is a bit of a mouthful, but basically unconditional positive regard means that you have um, respect and positivity, um, sorry, positive regard for the person sitting in front of you, regardless of what they, who they are, what they've done, their own values, etc. It's unconditional. And the last one is empathy. And empathy is different to sympathy. People can get the two confused quite easily, and that's fair enough because they're very similar words and they're very similar concepts. But empathy is being able to walk in someone's shoes and empathize with how they feel. You know, someone's in front of you, they're feeling very distressed, they're, say, experiencing grief, a broken heart, what have you. You can think, well, if I was feeling like that, that would be how I would look, that would be how I would act, that would be what I would be thinking. That's empathy. Sympathy's different. Sympathy's like, oh, that's terrible. You know, you, you, you feel sorry for the person. It's almost like a type of pity, but it's not one of the core conditions because people don't want your pity. They want your empathy. They want you to understand how they feel. They don't want you to just know how they feel. They want you to understand it. Why am I talking about this? Well, the core conditions also have to apply to the counsellor. As a counsellor, I cannot create the conditions for change within someone else if I don't hold those truths to be um, self-evident within me. So if I don't act congruently, if I'm incongruent in my behaviour, if I don't have empathy for myself, and I don't have unconditional positive regard for myself, then I can't do that for somebody else. In the words of RuPaul, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? Now, I disagree with that sentiment, but you get the gist. If you can't create the conditions for change within yourself, if you can't apply those ideals and values to yourself, you won't be able to apply them to somebody else and that other person will see right through that. So, coming back to the idea of toxic positivity, you can't be happy if you're acting incongruently, if your behaviours and your thoughts and your actions don't match. Negative thoughts can create negative beliefs, which create negative behaviours. I mean, you, you can 100% have a bad mental health day and or a period of poor mental health and still be congruent. If you're broken hearted and you're sobbing your eyes out, you're acting congruently. If you're depressed and you're having dark thoughts, that's congruent. The difference is if you're depressed and you're acting as if nothing's wrong, that's incongruence. And that's where you start to have difficulties. And those things are the enemies to happiness. Now, I am not a friggin' life guru here, but these are just the things that I have learned. And if if I only could take my own advice, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> then maybe this podcast wouldn't be happening and you wouldn't be getting your, your ears bashed off you here. But happiness is an elusive concept. And it cannot be perfectly defined by any one person for another one person. It cannot be defined by corporations. It cannot be defined by an Instagram page or a hashtag. It cannot be defined by, um, you know, a TV show or 
what have you. It's different for every single person. But what you have to be mindful of, or what I need to be mindful of anyway, because you don't have to do anything that I say. Um, what I need to be mindful of is that incongruence, that lack of empathy for myself, where I start to collude with the negative voices in my head, when I start to think to myself, do you know what? You are a real piece of crap, Stephen. Yeah, the voices in your head are right. You don't deserve to be happy. You don't deserve to be loved, etc., etc. You are a joke. You are a failure. You'll not accomplish anything. That's all That's all horse crap. It's all horse crap. None of that is true. But whenever I start to then invest in those dark thoughts and collude with them, that's whenever I start to have stop having empathy for myself. And... I don't think we're very good at that. You know, I tell people a lot to be kind to themselves. Because I think as a society at the moment, we are very hard on ourselves. We are very good at beating ourselves up. We are very good at pointing out our flaws and the flaws of others. And projecting our our insecurities onto other people and onto ourselves. We can, we, we, as damaged people, we can replicate that damage onto the world and vice versa, damaged people can replicate their damage onto us. That is an incredibly poisonous way to live. And I don't have the answers to how we stop that, but I think part of it is probably about being kinder to ourselves first. If you can't treat yourself with empathy and respect, if you can't treat yourself with unconditional positive regard, and if you can't act congruently, and start to acknowledge that if you're not okay, you're not okay, and that's okay, then I don't know how you can expect other people to have empathy for you, or be congruent around you, or have that unconditional positive regard, because you're not giving it to yourself. People will see that. People might not know that that's what you're doing, they might not be able to identify it or put their finger on it or give it a name. But subconsciously, they'll pick up on it. People are very intuitive. People can tell whenever I'm having a bad day, even when I think I'm hiding it. People can tell whenever I'm in a really good mood because I don't hide it. You know, and I don't know if that's the same for people listening out there, but people are very intuitive. They're good at reading each other. They know when something's off. We are, and we are very um, pheromonal creatures. And we pick these things up from each other. Anyway, pseudoscience aside, um, I just wanted to jump on here and, and have a chat about this. Because happiness is something that we're all striving towards. But give yourself a goddamn break. Because happiness doesn't have to be the same as material wealth or um intellectual um superiority you know happiness doesn't have to be getting that promotion at work it doesn't have to be having your bank account bursting at the seams it doesn't have to be um being the the you know the the most popular person in your college or your class it doesn't have to be being the best husband in the world or the best wife in the world or the best spouse in the world happiness can just be about accepting who you are and being okay with that and saying, well, you know what, I might not be X, Y, and Z, but I am I am also A, B, and C. Awesome, brilliant, and creative. You know, and that's something I'm gonna try and apply to myself a bit more. Because I am I am having a I am having better days at the moment. That'll change. I'll have a slump again. I know I will. 
but I need to be, need to be consistent with myself and what brings me joy and apply that the next time I have a slump. Uh, so I'm going to wrap it up there. If you get the chance, I recommend, I really recommend that you you read a bit around Carl Rogers and person-centered therapy and humanistic therapy, the school of thought, um, especially the core conditions, the three core conditions. Now, there are some um, addendum or addenda, whatever you call it, to the core conditions and they have been fleshed out over the years because Carl Rogers came up with these back in the 60s, I think. And, you know, people who have picked up his work and and uh, researched his work and, and studied it have added other core conditions that they seen that they think to be uh, necessary to create the conditions for, for positive change. I'm I'm a bit of a purist. I think that the three core conditions are, are enough and you can extrapolate what you want from those within it without without it being really complicated. Um and something I have been reading at the minute as well, and if you're a politics nerd, this'll probably appeal to you already, but if you're not I actually really recommend reading the first couple of chapters of Hillary Clinton's book, What Happened. And she writes about uh, her losing the 2016 presidential election in America. And, you know, I don't really agree with a lot of Hillary Clinton's politics. That aside, she really breaks it down in the first couple of chapters about what it means to pull back from the abyss of failure and depression and focus on the things that really matter to you. You know, this is a woman who was the first, you know, she was the, the first lady of Arkansas, then she was the first lady of the, of the United States, then she was a senator, then she was the secretary of state, and then she was a presidential candidate, and she lost the presidential election. You know, she's probably one of the most qualified people in the world to be president, and she lost to that other guy. Um, and for anybody that would be devastating, but for somebody like the read the read that someone like Hillary Clinton, who has, who's one of the most influential and most powerful women in the world, and who is respected and revered the world over by many many people, to have her talk about loneliness and to read her talking about failure and things that she can't accomplish and regret and self-care and what that really means really hit home with me because if somebody like that on that level can feel like that then it can happen to anybody and I didn't feel whenever I was reading I actually didn't feel like I was on my own I felt like this is a person who regardless of who they are or their beliefs understands what it's like to feel like crap <laughs> and what that really means so, if you get the chance, I would recommend you reading that book. Even the first couple of chapters will do. So, yes, thank you once again for listening. This has been um, a bit of a ramble, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. If you haven't, then, you know, I don't care. It's my show. Um, next week, I'm hoping to have another guest on to talk about uh, a different topic. Um, I will try and touch a bit more on burnout at another stage, um, or another episode. But for now, I hope you're well. I hope you're keeping well. Um, may the vaccine reach you very, very soon. I am so glad that we're almost at the end of this. But please don't be complacent. You know, wear a mask, wash your hands and watch your space. This isn't over yet. But 
there's no point in us falling at the last hurdle here, so just keep up the good work. Okay, look after yourselves, and I'll speak to you again soon. Bye-bye.